Hello and welcome to another Empire Spoiler Special. This one dedicated, well, we're calling it the mid-season of Andor. I'll be honest, we got busy for a little while and it is... Yes, okay, episode 10 out of 12. Those of you who are mathematicians may realise that's not the midpoint of the show, but in our defence, shut up, we were busy. With me to discuss it today, hello, I'm Helen O'Hara, by the way, Chris couldn't be here because of stuff. With me to discuss it today, I have three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Please welcome James Dyer. Hello, hello, Helen. Hello, how are you doing? How are you doing? Yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, I'm good, feeling yeah, good. Yeah. I'm feeling happy. I feel I'm like, excited you know, to be talking your, about this. With your headphones on and your lives of others um, impression complete, you must fit right into a sort yeah, of fascist yeah, dictatorship. I'm, I have big lowball <laughs> energy this morning, which is how yeah. I like to roll. <laughs> Absolutely. We're also joined by Amon Warman. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How many people on an Andor podcast? Never more than four. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. On program. And I'm also <laughs> delighted to welcome back Sophie Petzl. How are you doing, Sophie? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I had a friend ask me recently, um, so do you work for Empire now? Um, and uh, yes. I'm like, no. Yes, no. you do. <laughs> but I feel like people might listen and be like, why is she always here? But I'm delighted to be here as always. Thank you, guys. I mean, yes, to be clear, Sophie has a real job writing real stuff. Well, <laughs> how busy can she be if she's doing this? All the time? Oh, this is too fun. This is too fun. I can never say no. Uh, to make well, it clear to people, this is 8am that we're doing this precisely is. because you genuinely are busy and uh, mm. and there's, there's a lot going on. But we, we did have to get into the studio this week because uh, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that this episode was a banger. Is that correct? Yeah. It's so good. Oh, honestly, I feel like... Uh, like Luthen at the end of this episode when she says, I think of you constantly. I do, but I think of Andor constantly because when I watch this episode, I think I've been thinking about it daily ever since I watched it. It's so good. It simultaneously makes you question everything that's come before in terms of other Star Wars stuff and also excited but fearful for what's going to come because I'm excited that this is now the new standard for Star Wars TV as far as I'm concerned. And I'm fearful because I can't go back to the madness of a Book of Boba Fett and an Obi-Wan <laughs> after this. I just, I can't. The, the, the thought of that. No, this is the new stuff. I feel like every, every Star Wars creator needs to be watching this show and be like, okay, we need to fix our shit because this is giving it level. Like, it's so good. It's hang so on, good. hang on. Have you officially turned on Obi-Wan Kenobi now? Because I, I feel like, I, 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 I feel I, like I, everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. <laughs> I mean, it, it was okay. It was yeah, maybe Mare's too strong of a. Or no, it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. But, Carry but on. Boba Fett was Mare. I'll give you that. Um, um, but a show that, yeah, a show that you day. say is better than Obi Wan, which is still one of on the a technicality. On a technicality. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, uh, I I I'm loving this show. And episode ten was incredible. The last two scenes are some of the best scenes in Star Wars. Period. They're that good. Steady. Uh, I will say, I think now, now, and, and before I want to ask Sophie something, but, but Amon, when you watched the first three episodes of this, like where were you on Andor? Remind me, like what was your, what was your initial take? Yeah, I was really, really enjoying it. I think the third episode was really, really great. That's, that's one of the really good things about how they've paced this in terms of the mini arcs of it all. And anytime they're concluding a mini arc, like a third episode, it's really, really strong. So after the third one, especially, I was like, okay, I'm really, really into it. But I didn't foresee it reaching the levels of an episode 10. That I didn't see at, at the point of episode three. Now, Sophie, you were tweeting about this from the get-go. Like, you were a convert yeah, from the start of the night and time, weren't you? Yeah, you were. Yeah. 
I mean, it's funny because I was not looking forward to this. Like, I, I, I <laughs> thought, like, wow, what I really want after after some of the crap we've been subjected to in the Star Wars canon is um, a show about the boring guy from the film I didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, Diego Luna is is a phenomenal actor. This is no shade to Diego Luna, but like Andor in Rogue One is it just generic cheap, hero cheap boy. Solo. Cheap yeah. Han Solo. <laughs> sort of skinny, skinny, weird Han Solo. Yeah. So I wasn't, I wasn't exactly like jumping up and down waiting to watch this, but I am a loyalist. I will watch everything. And I, I really <laughs> liked the first three, but I thought, you know what? I've liked the first three of most of these bloody things. I really like the first three of Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi. And, this um, is true. and so I was like, oh, I'm you know, sitting there still arms folded going, I'm waiting for you to let me down like everyone else. And it's funny because I thought those first three episodes were brilliant. And but you look back at it now, and you're like, oh, compared to what we're watching now, exactly. that was milk toast stuff, <laughs> pathetic <laughs> loser stuff. Um, you know, that was just generic rebel stuff. And um, I, I just cannot, I can't really believe how ambitious it's got. I, I that's the thing that strikes me the most, and and I do. I mean, I will say that, and I've spoken to some friends and Star Wars fans, you know, who will still advocate that Star Wars is supposed to be fun, you guys. You know, it is a sort of a family-friendly kids thing. Like, let's not lose hijinks forever. But at the same time, I you mentioned Obi Wan Kenobi, um, Amon. I kept thinking in this episode about the episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi where he breaks Leia out of the underwater base and this how the third that, or fifth time in that show that that happens uh, the one where he ends up <laughs> doing the thing from Jedi Fallen Order with the water and all that yeah, stuff okay, like, gotcha. uh, yeah. Where, where yeah and, and um, where um, I can't remember anyone's names um, anyway but uh, <laughs> where effectively it was just hijinks galore like he yeah. you know he sort of minces in sneaks around some corridors Somebody shoots their colleague in the main office and nobody hears. Even the episodes, I think episode two or whatever, or, or, oh, God, I can't remember any of it, where he sticks some, he sticks layer under his coat and all yeah. that stuff. And that is just, I don't know, you watch something like this then, where it is the opposite of hijinks, where they've spent three episodes establishing what this prison environment is like, how difficult it is to get out, and they're getting out a life or death situation. And you believe that and feel that. And it, the tension I felt in that in this episode 10, when they were trying to make that getaway and the conviction I had that they it probably wouldn't work or that something terrible was going to happen... Um, was genuine, and I'd never really felt that before. Like, and, and it's not to say that everything in the Star Wars universe before is is lesser for this. You know, it is a fun universe, and this is sort of ambitiously unfun. But I was just amazed that a lack of hijinks and genuine tension could exist in the Star Wars universe and still feel like Star Wars. Because I think still it does. Still feel very Star Wars, mm. yeah. Um, I, I feel like this is going to become a therapy session then for you it to work through way, how yeah. many other shows have hurt you and you know how this might be you know, getting some things out of your system. Uh, James, how, how are you doing on this? Well, those who listen to the Pilot TV podcast will know that I have done a full intergalactic reverse ferret on this show. So I didn't hate it from the beginning, but I was with Sophie. I was like, it's boring guy from that film that I watched and Cassian Blandor. Like, I couldn't, could, I gave so few fucks about his backstory or anything about him. I just had no interest at all. And I think I, because I came in with that baggage, I think those first three episodes, which were fine, like they were actually decent, I found them very low stakes and interesting ish. 
but also they didn't really capture my imagination. It wasn't until episode four where they broke out and showed you just how far away from that fucking volume they'd come with this glorious location shoot. I was like, oh, okay, this feels interesting. And with every progressive episode, I've become more invested in this until the point where it kind of dropped. I was like, this is what happens if HBO made Star Wars. Like this feels like a proper grown up bit of television set in the Star Wars universe. And I was about to say it's been ages. We've never seen that before. We have never seen that before. This feels like, weirdly, this feels to me, and it's ironic because it's Tony Gilroy doing it, but this feels like it delivers on Gareth Edwards' original promise for Rogue One, which was Black Hawk Down in Star Wars. Like a really sort of like serious adult war film set in the Star Wars universe. Obviously, Kathy Kennedy off the back of the Force Awakens box office changed her mind about that. And Tony Gilroy came in and made it something else. But it feels weirdly, Gilroy has now made good on that promise and brought us adult Star Wars. And this got to the point where I was like, is this the best show on TV? Might this be the best show of the year? I mean, it may not be, but it's in contention. Like it's extraordinarily good. And it's it's incredible. It's all the things that Sophie said. Like it's, I didn't realize I could have these feelings for Star Wars. And I think for the first time since the Last Jedi, this is Star Wars sort of flexing and breaking out of the mold that it's kind of rather lazily slipped into. And I'm very much here for it. I want to talk for a minute about prequelitis um, because we talked on the uh, to the other spoiler special series, if you like, that we've been doing recently: House of the Dragon, Lord of the Rings, also both prequels. Mm. All of them have had to reckon with the fact that they're prequels and there's certain things they can and can't do. And I think with varying levels of success, actually. How do you think this is working with that? We know Andor is going to survive. We know Mon Mothma is going to survive, although maybe not in quite the same profession and um, status she has right now. But everything else it feels like is up for grabs. I always think the um, complaint that um, something is low stakes because we know characters are going to survive, which is something I hear a lot. I always think it's a, an odd one because most shows, the main the main characters are going to survive. We, we know that because we contracts exist and um, and 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 you know standards exist. We know that Saul isn't going to die in Better Call Saul, but you don't hear people level that at it. Yeah. I, I don't know. It feels like one of those complaints that's always usually leveled at at Star Wars, and it's not. It's not that the complaints about those things aren't proper, but. I always feel like the problem with Obi-Wan Kenobi wasn't that Obi-Wan Kenobi wasn't going to die. It's that nothing happened that meant anything. Um, you know, and I think if you put your characters through the ringer in a way that means something and you feel like I, I mean, first of all, Andor is that such a bland and unintelligible place at the beginning of Rogue One. It, it doesn't you can do really whatever you want to him. There's no sort of he's really happy now. He has a wife and kids. He's at a really good place. So you think, okay, well we know we have to get him to this place of goodness. You know, he's not he feels like he's in a between space in that movie anyway because he's so difficult to pin down. So I don't think I don't think you're held too much to anything with him. But I don't think yeah, I think the fact that he's not gonna die is, is sort of never a problem. I I mean less about the you know that they're not gonna because you also know that, you know, the title character of the Mandalorian isn't going to die because he's no, the title character of the Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. But it's more about that there are limitations to the prequel form, I think, in a lot of cases. And I think you've, you've, you've talked about it a bit there. You know, we're mm. not, they haven't introduced a wife and child that they're clearly going to kill off in the next 
five minutes because we know they have to at some point. They haven't done some of the obvious sequel uh, prequel traps that shows like this fall into. And I think that's, it's kind of interesting. Like you say, they're finding a space to work with because of the limitations of the, of the character that existed in the first place. I think wonder whether the limitations of that character are actually working in its favour because he's such a cipher in Rogue One. You don't know anything about him and you don't really care that they can make him into anything at this point and he can come from anywhere and he can be anything. And so while he might be wreathed in a certain amount of plot armour in terms of where he does and doesn't end up, I think there's a lot of freedom in how they develop this character because, I mean, like they could turn him into a serial killer and where he starts in Rogue One, it would probably fit. He could run a nunnery and when he starts Rogue One it could probably fit like it's they've got a lot of a lot of latitude I think to work with this character and also we don't give a fuck and I think that's working in their favour too like nobody cares what Cassian Andor's backstory is whereas when you went into Solo they were pissing on the holy rosary and it was just upsetting from the get-go like you don't want that shit it's the pissing in the swimming pool thing sorry for my urinary metaphors but (laughs) you know what i mean it's upsetting there is nothing they can do in this i think short of having darth vader randomly turn up and be a bellend that would that would upset me that that yeah that would be a bad idea i I feel like they're not going to do that i feel like we can count on them for that i mean let's hope i just think it's really clever what they're doing with andor in terms of developing him to the place where we see at the start of Rogue One. Uh, I like that this, he almost has to be radicalized to get to the stage where we're going to see him. Um, and I, I love how sort of we, we see that even though Luthan Stellan Skorsgaard, which we, we have to talk about, um, uh, his philosophy on the rebellion is very, very dark. It's not wholly incorrect because what he's saying is what Andor is going through. Because I feel like now, given that he's just picked up randomly and sent to this prison, even though he was trying to avoid it, that's the thing that's going to, he now, he's not going to be able to have that peace and just live a normal life because he's seen, he's been in it, he's been through it. This is going to be the thing that I think is going to push him to, okay, let's get closer to where he starts. And I know there's a whole other season to go, but I feel like this is the start of that. He's building up towards killing Danny Mays. That's essentially what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, but he's on, he's on the run now. You're like you're you're right. And when you and and so it does seem like the trajectory is going to be this is how he gets pinned into the rebellion. He's on the run. He needs protection, presumably. Um because again when you think about it in any other iteration of this story where you have to convince the hero of the show to join the cause, you know, I mean, the, the cheap and easy version is New Hope. Sorry, uh, James, the Star Wars. Uh, where, you know, Luke's aunt and uncle are killed and you're like, there's nothing here for me now. Um, or, you know, they just sort of have a, you know, they go, no, I don't, I refuse the call. And then they see a child looking hungry and they go, you know what, I've changed my mind. Something just, it's it's a beat in one episode rather than, we're going to take him on a four episode arc um, where he goes to prison for three of them. Um, which again, it's just so... If that ends up being the trajectory and you look back at it and think they decided and agreed to take four episodes to do that, it's incredible. Like that is the HBO version. I, I also feel like the there is a history in the real world of people being radicalized by internment and prison sentences generally. Uh, speaking, as a Northern, speaking as a Northern Irish person, I can tell you right now, it has never worked and it has mm. always made uh, the problem of rebellion or terrorists or whatever you want to call it much, much worse. So the the idea that all of these men have been unjustly imprisoned or had their sentences at least unjustly extended 
they could for, like I don't feel like it might be just him coming out of this. I think there is a scenario where that prison break is a massive recruitment drive for the rebellion. Those few thousand men, however many of them make it to shore and escape, become a sort of you know core unit in the rebellion because that is the kind of thing that happens in the real world. And this feels like it has real world parallels. Other people have talked about the the depopulation of the planet. I'm going to call Scotland um, reflects the, the deliberate depopulation. <laughs> of the Scottish Highlands in the 1800s by the English. Um, you know, it, these are things that actually happen and that they have real world consequences. And I feel like they're kind of reflecting all that in, in ascribing all these actual fascist or imperial tactics to the empire, which I think is great. Let's show why they're bad. It's it's nuanced. I, th- I love that. I love the the look at the empire. Amon's looking. It's clear. I'm about. I'm stamping on your point. Amon, you no, take no, it no. away. Go, go. <laughs> say no, no, no. it. I was only bigging up because nuance is the word. Yeah, it is nuanced. In, in, yeah. in so many respects, yeah. like the amount that they are mining from the grey on both the hero side and the yeah. villain side, quote quote, is what is making this show so great. And just to sort of back up a little bit. With the Empire, there's no Palpatine, there's no Darth Vader, there's no lightsabers in sight. These guys are scary as hell. Like, the ch- the, the prison stuff, that is really chilling and haunting, and I really felt that in a way that I haven't from anything in Star Wars before, which is you know, grateful that it's a storytelling, but it's just like, wow, this is really dark. Do you um, think they're building the Death Star? I think yes. so. Yeah, I think they're parts for the Death Star. But I love the fact that the enemy of this isn't like an all-powerful emperor. It's not a Sith Lord. It's it's bureaucracy. imperialism and bureaucracy, yeah. like Jobsworth bureaucracy. Civil servants, the fucking civil servants. <laughs> the enemy here. Like, I, just, I love the fact that you go through it. Like he he gets swept up in a really awkward kind of stop and search moment. Like and it's just like, mm. what the fuck? I'm walking here. Like, it's just, yeah. And then someone who doesn't want to listen, Jobsworths who aren't listening. And the bureaucracy, this oppressive, grinding bureaucratic machine that's kind of at the heart of this and they make it really fucking sinister and i love that we see uh you know uh, grand maester kyburn and his group of intelligence officers around the table and like working out how that because you root for denise goff's character quite early on like yeah. you want her to yeah. smash the imperial patriarchy like you're like, come on stick it to them and you're like oh yeah. no you're horrible you're, yeah. you're you're playing her the screams of dying squid creatures that's just nasty <laughs> what are you doing i'm so pleased that some of the uk's best stage actresses are getting to strut their stuff in this genuinely like denise goff has been killing it for years and but re- rarely cast on screen so good um, I mean, Fiona Shaw, fucking goddess, absolutely amazing woman. Um, and, you know, to see them in a Star Wars movie is just giving me all kinds of delight. Um, I mean, I don't even know if I'm at liberty to say this, but I was working a little bit briefly with one of the directors, or I think the lead director, Toby Haynes, for a little while, who is a lovely, lovely guy who deserves this, the success from this so much. Um, and the, one of the only things, because he couldn't say anything about this, I knew he was working on it, but the only thing he sort of said with a big smile on his face was, the the things we're getting away with in casting is amazing. He said, I'm just casting he said, I'm just casting people from Corrie. He said, I'm casting people I think I think are amazing British TV actors who've never really done anything. He said, You're gonna you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. The casting is hilarious. And I always wondered what that meant, like hilarious. And then you watch it like that's Trevor from EastEnders, who is amazing, who is an, uh, he, he is an incredible actor. He, he's incredible in EastEnders. He was incredible in I can't remember his name, I'm sorry, but he was incredible in Chernobyl. And all these actors popping 
up. Um, a guy I um, worked with briefly a million years ago when we were doing the 24-hour plays at the Old Vic, James Cooney, was the guy that Diego Luna holds up uh, in the control room. <laughs> um, who, who says, oh, it's going to be turned off for months. So every time a new scene happens, I'm like, oh my God, I know him. Oh my God. It's just, it, they're just um, stage actors and, and sort of up and coming TV actors. And yeah, I think, I think, and they're all, they're all like British Isles, all over the British Isles. Like there's a, there are Scottish people in the empire. It's, yeah, it is really enjoyable to watch that. Really different. When you say Trevor from East Ends, you're talking about Alex Burns. Is that his name? I'm sorry, Alex Ferns. He's just Trevor from EastEnders, them on. We don't understand the distinction. <laughs> <laughs> it's Trevor from EastEnders. That's his name now. Yeah. That's his name. Also, Carl Zoller, I kind of, kind of like, I've been fascinated by this character because yeah. when he starts on, you just think, oh, he's this two dimensional Jobsworth villain thing. And like, this is an interesting thing. And now he's gone full incel stalker. I have no clue what they are doing with that character. And it's incredible. His mum is the witches in the most recent Macbeth, by the way. Oh. All oh, three of them. Wow. Yeah, Catherine Hunter. She's the witches. What a movie or a play? The movie, the 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 yeah. Cohen um, Macbeth last year. Yeah, she she's was amazing. In it. Phenomenal in that. It's an incredible performance. Can we talk about Andy Circus? Because oh, my he gosh. can't swim. He can't. I've never gone. So I've got whiplash from my sensibilities for that character. Like he can't swim. I, I really wanted someone to say, "I will teach you right now." Yeah. You kick yeah. your legs, dude. Just kick your legs. Come on. Just grab him. And now jump. is the time to put doggy paddle. I, I, I've I've whinged a lot about, and I don't. I still haven't really come up with a more sophisticated way of putting it. But like, all I can really think to describe it as is childish infantile writing uh, or unsophisticated writing in in a lot of uh, mainstream sci-fi uh, and and sure and how like uh, even if something is for families and it, it, you just feel like it's being written from a socially politically liter like a literarily unsophisticated place and the swivel with this where you feel like this is a literary with you know real craft themes twists like a slow build but also a political understanding of the world a sophisticated nuanced take on the world something to say it feels like it is so incredibly coming from the opposite of childish but so incredibly adultly written she says adultly um that i i every time they do something that this is the most shocking thing for me to say in a star wars is you know i don't know mad men-esque style writing with just yeah. like emergence of theme and and um and and politics and it just in a moment like him coming to the end and going i can't swim and it's not a huge dramatic moment he just says it rather matter-of-factly and Diego Luna just jumps off. He's not waiting. Like, well, he gets pushed it, off, doesn't he? He gets, oh, gets swept in the crowd. Oh. And I think they do I that deliberately to not make him out. a dick. Like, yeah, they do but it I would have loved yeah. it. I would have loved it if he just jumped. <laughs> He's gone, see ya, I'm off. <laughs> uh, in my mind canon, they did that. But um, yeah. no, but I, I, phenomenal. Can we talk about the build-up to that moment, though? That speech is special. Like, I was screaming at the screen. One way one out. Way one way one out. Way out. Yeah. It's that yeah. rousing. It's that stirring. And I love how it builds, not only with the performance and the power in the dialogue, but also the score by Nicholas Patel, which is its own thing that deserves like a five-hour podcast on its own because it's so freaking good. And I love how it's so distinct from anything that's come before in Star Wars. It's not trying to be a John Williams homage. 
is trying to do its own thing. And this is probably this scene is where it gets the most orchestral and most, most traditional that we've seen from the show. But even then, it still builds and builds and builds, like the speech builds and builds and builds as Kino Loy finds his voice. Because in the beginning, he's, he's faltering, he's unsure, he has to be sort of giddied up by uh, Andor. And I love that. I love that the thing that really helps him find his voice is a line that Andor says in terms of, you know, we, I'd rather, what's he say? I'd rather fight trying to take it, trying to take them down than giving them what they want, which is great. Oh, it's so good. But, but the politics of that is extraordinary in a Star Wars, that it's all about how like the ruling class have got their boot on your neck and they will never, ever, ever let you get up, ever. And it's just about them finally realising it. And like, Kino Loy is that classic kind of like, oh no, trickle-down economics works. You know, look, I'll take scraps from the table. It's all absolutely fine. And then the reality that you are never getting out, you are never going to get above your station. This is all you have. And all you can do is break the machine. It's just it's fantastic. It, and, and, but it's true to character as well, because you know he's not—he's not just a sort of servile boot, bootlicker. You get the sense that he is actually genuinely trying to get everyone through this alive. Like he is following the rules because he thinks that's how you survive, and that's how you know. It's not—it's yeah. not—he's not kind of the, the comparison that's coming to mind is Stephen in Django Unchained. You know, he's not actively kind of bought into the the whole kind of rotten system and and screwing everybody over so he can survive he's trying to bring everybody through and make everyone survive this and it's only when he finds out that isn't possible that he flips and it's not an easy flip either it's not a momentary okay great we're all in this like he has a real dark night of the soul there at least for a few minutes of tv no time more than and that, 12. <laughs> like you said that's that's yeah. not something you see every time that no more than 12 line is how you know he's always had the spirit of a rebel in him it just needed to come out and it just he does know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He's noted it. He's noted the guards. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't reveal it until he's like, I have no other choice. But that yeah. like like that hits you so hard when that doctor explains what's happened and the mm. futility of it. And Andy Circus's extraordinary face acting in that moment. You go through yeah. the absolute ringer, and it's exactly as Sophie said. Like these episodes in the prison, it slowed right down because you had to feel the futility mm-hmm. of it. You had to feel the machine of this imprisonment to make the breakout land. And I think they, they yeah. did it perfectly. And having this sort of 12-episode runtime is just genius. Like, because they've taken the time. So that episode, and so the, the middle prison episode. Episode nine. Oh, yeah, mm. on its own, to me, felt, when I was watching it, slow and possibly the least eventful of all of them. But I never, as for a second, doubted its value. I just sort yeah. of felt mm-hmm. like, oh, what, I'm, what I need to experience here, that in a way, the monotony, and that I'm kind of tired of this now, is... What exactly what is important to get me to a point where I really believe you have to invest in the, in how difficult it is to make that change from uh, this is what I need to do to survive to actually we need to get out and I feel like in another Star Wars thing they just go we need to break out of prison and you go yeah 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 we do and they just they hijack a guard's gun and they go <laughs> rampaging and you, you have to you have to feel like these characters do that this is impossible and that there is no way out um, yeah. or that there is one but you're all going to die and I think that the there's an interesting when we were talking mostly about episode 10 we are supposed to be talking about the entire season so far. Anywho, but uh, but I do think there's an interesting thing here, which is that they had the sort of okay, they have the first kind of 
accidentally murdered some bullies uh, now on the run. Then there's the, oh no, now I've fallen in with some rebels and we're doing a heist because that's the only way to get away from where I was. And now it's like, oh no, I've ended up in prison and now I have to get out of prison. Um, But it's all the law of unintended consequences and it's all about how this fascist system is magnifying every single mistake into a potentially life-ending events it feels yeah, like you know completely and the way they take it down it's like Luther rails sort of like his his idea that we need them to become worse we need to make the empire their absolute worst because that's the only way people are going to realize that they're you know the frog in the boiling water do you know what I mean? that it's just getting worse incrementally we need them to step it up and make things worse before we can make it better it's the same reason that the dodds decision just helped the democrats win some seats in the u.s elections like <laughs> when they actually achieve one of the things that the they have yeah. been trying to do and suddenly people realize oh they weren't just talking about it they really will take our rights away suddenly people are motivated to actually go out and vote yeah not to get political but not I to mean, get political <laughs> i love how political this show is though like Star Wars has always been political, but it here it feels like they're making the tech the, the subtext text in the show in a way that they don't typically do. Yeah. And I, and I, I love it that. was either too subtle or too not. And let's talk about the taxation of trade routes. Like, no, no, I think we can have some <laughs> yeah, allegory. Yeah. It also just makes sense that when you need someone to lead a revolution, you hire Caesar. <laughs> Rebels! Oh god, together, right. Yes. <laughs> strong. <laughs> I thought you meant Julius Caesar. Is that because the guy playing the lead civil servant it's, did yeah, he play Julius Caesar at the National? Or I was I was going deep on that metaphor, and I was like, oh, you yeah. mean Eddie Circus? No, you'd have Kieran uh, Hines if you wanted that. You'd definitely get Kieran Hines. Yeah. Um, oh, good. Because early in the series, um, I remember I can't remember what it was now, which makes me useless. But there was a moment. I think probably one of the first moments where he had a role. Oh, I, and I thought. Oh my god! Like Andor's gone all ACAB. Like uh, Andor hates cops. This is cool. Uh, and um, but I remember thinking that'll last all of five seconds. Like it, this isn't be a show that's going to make a huge point about police brutality. Um, oh, it was. I think when I mean the incredible. I think it was episode two or three where well, I don't know any of these characters' names. By the way, <laughs> um, with the, the American incel. Is it Carl? Uh-huh. Oh, Ka- yeah. Karn. What, Cyril Khan. Cyril Khan. Cyril Khan. Yeah. Yeah. Best name ever, yeah. Cyril Khan. Cyril Khan, <laughs> where he effectively ends up leading his group into committing a sort of massacre because they have got themselves so paranoid that they think they're under siege, which is, you know, again, an incredibly sophisticated analysis of how pr- police brutality works. It, it's not just, you know, Oh, it's not just as it's not it's not binary. It's not just racism. It's not just guns. It's a siege mentality. It's everyone is out to get us. And we have to have tanks now. We have to have body armor because the people are the enemy. And I remember watching that episode, going, "Geez, this is a really c- clever and and proper analysis of reality." And we're never going to see this again. And in fact, it's just tripled down on it. Like the whole show is about that. And I find that remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about the heist a little bit, if we may, because um, now th- that the prison break has happened, it's kind of dropped out of my mind. Like now mm. it's it's just sort of vanished. I remember that it happened. I couldn't tell you much and about the heist itself. The build up was brilliant. It was. The Great, eye yeah. is incredible. But the, but the actual heist, once they get into the base, has gone out of my head. Am I the only one? 
Did you like it? Did no, you love I know it? what you mean. I think, I, but I think because they've taken this modular structure to this season, which you don't see, which is extraordinary. It's like it's these all these little sort of pericopes on a string, like working it out. And and I think each one's been better than the last. So now, the, because the Prison Break has been the best, it's kind of eclipsed what's come before it. But the heist was brilliantly staged, brilliantly executed. The slow build up to it, them preparing for it, being you know buzzed by Tie Fighters in the hills, uh, and then. You know, where's the money? That's obviously the interesting question, isn't it? What are they going to do with the money? Mm. All the money. Yeah. yeah, you're completely right. The spectacle of the eye is great, and I really, really enjoyed it. But I think when all is said and done, and I kind of love this about Andor, a, a lot of times when I think about the other sort of live-action Star Wars shows, the thing that comes to mind is the spectacle, is the spectacle of it, is the action, is the cool fight scenes. Here, it's more about the words, it's more about the dialogue, it's more about the score, it's more about those things. And I feel like that in and of itself in a Star Wars show is great for me. So, so yeah, I, I, the, the spectacle and the eye is really, really good. I, I love the build up. I love how it's executed. I love the tension that we feel as they try and get uh, all this money out and you, that definitely comes through the screen. But it's not the thing that is going to immediately come to mind when I think of the show. And I think that's okay. I think that's a testament to how good the show is. I'm really interested to see what the purpose of the heist will be in Andor's journey, which I feel like I won't really know until the end of this series. Because I, you know, I think it's clear what the value of the prison break is. But I, again, in another version, him doing that heist would have been the thing that commits him to the cause. But instead, he goes, oh, fuck this, and goes mm. to prison. Um I'm wondering if there's also something building that's meant to be showing us. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure this is going on, but whether it's going to be a a big plot point is that the rebels are pretty awful as well. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that they're not great. Vel's trying to kill him. <laughs> let's yeah. let's talk about that because Luthen's speech, I think, which is just one of the best moments of TV this year, is an absolutely extraordinary, yeah, really extraordinary really thing. But that that basically lays that out that basically says yeah i'm going to use my enemy's tactics if that's what it takes to beat my enemy you know yeah. i am going to if you will go to the mattresses if that's what it takes because you know they're not going to stop um yeah i, I think there there've always there've always been little no there haven't always there have lately been little touches of this idea that the rebels are also flawed that the new republic is flawed that there are shortcomings to our good guys that even princess leia is a bad mother i feel like this is building very much on that and and building on the fact that you know to be it to 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 do a rebellion if that's the phrase you're going to get your hands really fucking dirty i burn my life to make a sunrise that i know i'll never see I mean, yeah. come just, on. It's just that dialogue is just ridiculous. That, that entire speech is insane. Yeah. I love it so much. That To have that mic drop moment follow a mic drop moment you've just had with a prison break and actually yeah. in some ways outdo it is almost unfathomable. Um, but it's so good. I love the delivery. I love the tension. I love the fact that Stellan looks so good in a black cape which really yeah. suits the character <laughs> in that moment as well. Thank it's God there just, are capes. Oh. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Star Wars it's and capes. <laughs> it's just fantastic. Um, I love it. I'm oh, sorry, is it a, a moment of casting as spoiler? Um, I kept thinking every time the camera cut to, I think it's Robert Ems um, who played that infiltrator. Um, but every time the camera cut to him in the room, in the Empire rooms, I thought, Robert Ems is a really prolific actor. 
Like, what's he doing just standing here going, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir? And I thought, well, you know, he's another great kind of British stage actor. Um, <laughs> he was in Chernobyl as well. Maybe yeah. Toby just really likes it. Yeah. And so, but I kept thinking, he's going to have more to do, isn't he? So when he had that incredible <laughs> little moment with Stellan Skarsgård, I thought, it's all there for this, isn't it? It's also yeah. that he can yeah. do his incredible emotional best, like crying in an elevator. Um, mm. I think that's Robert Ems. I'll be really embarrassed if it's not. Um, <laughs> then it's just somebody else. It, I just love the fact that they've kind of, because Star Wars is a very dualistic mythology. It's obviously light and dark. It's good and bad. It's very, very mm -hmm. simple. It's partly where it's pitched in terms of age range, but it's never been the most sophisticated in its morality. And I think, you know, and I'm not going to get into my whole fucking issues with the rise of fucking Skywalker. But again, there was an opportunity <laughs> there for an extraordinarily nuanced look at shades of grey within the force that they completely and utterly fudge. But that's neither here nor there. I like the fact that this show operates entirely in the grey and it's about nuance and it's about all of those things and all of these things I guess make it an adult show and not a kids show but it wasn't until the Bix Colleen moments mm. from the recent episode that I realised how far away from a kids show this has become because oh, yeah. like, imagine you're a kid yeah I've really enjoyed The Mandalorian it's great oh everyone can was great didn't like the volume but fuck it you know and, and then suddenly you fire this up and you see her listening to the screams of dying alien children as torture and you're like oh my god this is a decade of therapy right here what the fuck was that I did think I must be a psychopath yeah, I mean, I thought I must be a psychopath because I thought surely the torture element here has got to be that the sound is so piercing that it like physically hurts. Because like when he was like, the sound of children crying, she was like, no. And I was like, I could like, if, if, if the worst you could do to me is we're going to play some sounds of children crying, I'd be like, sure. Like I live opposite a school. Like, I listen to children crying all day. You, you, Let the so, got... reflect that I'm looking at you very strangely. <laughs> My neighbours have a baby. He's crying all day. Like so, so I thought. Surely the torture element is that it's at like a pitch that hurts, right? It's not just oh my what? god, the children. I think yeah. I think, I think it's meant to be like it has a physical effect on yes, your brain. Right? Yes, I think that's, yeah, that's I did think it was funny right that I was like, oh, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a psycho. I felt like actually, there was a kind of a weird empathetic element to it that somehow it mm. had some sort of psychic component to it. Like it was the mm. the horror and the terror and the yeah. emotional content was somehow contained in the sound and it put exactly. them yeah. through that. That's mm. interesting. So it wasn't yeah. just like this is quite a loud noise. It's giving me a headache. Uh, it felt a bit sort of Mitchell and Webb. We're going to torture you like yeah. with the sounds yes. of a dog yes. barking. And yeah. you're like, oh, is that it? Oh, yeah. we could do more if you want. Like, oh, no, 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 that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that really, sounds really bad. Really great acting by Adrian Jonah in that moment yeah. too, because if memory serves, we don't actually hear it. It's just no, silence. No, we don't. We, don't. We, we hear a tiny bit and, of it over the headphones, but that's all. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, all the terror we feel is from her reaction to it, yeah. which really comes to me. I, I really love that because I love that kind of like, sci-fi torture do you know what yes. I mean? like i want <laughs> i don't want to see like you know just some knives on a table yeah, like a whatever with a needle coming floating yeah. through the door but, but at yeah. least that was a drone and it was flowing do you know what i mean like i want but i want like sci-fi torture like the the you know the worms in wrath of can will stay oh, with yeah. me my entire Brain life worms. you know i want i want sci-fi methods of torture and mind control none of this like knives out nonsense yeah. love knives out no disrespect. Can't wait to see what is it? Glass, Han Solo gets tortured by just being held in front of something that, that flashes and sparks lights. And I don't know if he's being electrocuted or what. I never quite worked out what Vader was doing to him there. It's sci-fi. Mm. Uh, it's sci-fi torture yeah, with some kind of torture machine. Fine. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's like the machine in the Princess Bride. It just, you know, it tortures you. It's, it's just there. It's yeah. just a torture machine. It's fine. Just something that you'd mentioned earlier, James, about like it being adult. And it's both funny and sad to me that I feel like there was a whole 
cabal of Star Wars consumers who have been vo- vocally complaining for a long time that, you know, when can we see a Star Wars that frees itself from the yoke of Skywalker? When can we finally see a Star Wars that doesn't have lightsabers? And the- and here it is, and it's incredible, and they're not fucking watching it, and no mm-hmm. one's watching it. Like, it's not good. Yeah. This is the worry, isn't it? That that suddenly I've discovered what has been missing from Star Wars for the last however many decades of my life. And I worry that this is going to be a failed experiment. I suspect we'll get like the second, you know, we'll get the second season of this, but are Disney going to do more adult Star Wars stuff? Or is it going to be, because critical reviews are one thing, but viewing figures are king. I so. hope that what they take from it, because I think this is the truth, is that no one's watching it because of the Blandor problem. No one's watching yeah. it because mm. they thought, why the hell would I watch that? Who is that? But I mean, I do dare people who watch Star Wars and complain that everything leans into something that we know. Why does like why do we always have to have the origin story of Chewbacca? And like, well, here is something that you literally don't know at all to the point where you'd see the title on Disney Plus and go, what is that? <laughs> yeah. And you're not watching it. You said you wanted this. Here it fucking is. Like, watch it. No one watched The Wire. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's one of these things, maybe something like there's something prestigious which elevates them beyond what they get accused of, which is being a sort of Marvel Star Wars shit factory. Like, maybe this is valuable to them. To have something that, yeah, eight people are watching it, but all the critics think it's amazing. This is a general problem right now with with everything, right? Like there there is a value in having the stuff that doesn't immediately make money, but is good because over time, the stuff that is good elevates your brand exactly. and also keeps people coming back to it and people keep discovering it and people keep, you know, consuming it like The Wire. You know, people are still watching The Wire for the first time. So there is a value to that. And I think that's something that, old studio heads for all their huge numbers of faults used to understand. And I think it's something that the sort of MBA fucking hedge fund babies in charge of most of the studios now don't have any truck with. They're like, if it doesn't, if it isn't going to make a billion dollars today, I don't give a fuck. And I think that is, that is genuinely the one thing. It is not that Hollywood lacks ideas. It is not that there are not incredibly talented and interesting and original people trying to do fantastic stuff and sometimes succeeding. The problem is the studio heads. They're fucking idiots. I I just hope they get to complete the story. I think I've read something that the season two starts filming on November 21st. Yeah. So that's definitely think, happening. They are doing that, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and they're only supposed the other- to be two seasons, aren't there? So, yeah. you know, that's oh, it. Oh, yeah. oh, then, then, the then hopefully. Yeah. When, this when, takes us I, up to Rogue One. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I mean, the other thing as well is that, and I think potentially, Helen, this is why you're like, it's fallen out of my head. Uh, each episode mm, basically is an hour. Like they're between forty-five minutes to fifty-five minutes, yeah. which is fantastic. Because um, I think how, you know, even though everyone was sort of you know, complaining that like you know Obi Obi Wan doesn't cover enough territory and stuff, I I and I or it's too long and um, should have been a movie. I'm like, no, the problem is that each episode is too short. You don't go anywhere. You can't do anything <laughs> except have a dilemma and then a fight. And so it, or you just you do that for six episodes. And you feel like it's getting dragged out. So anyway, I'm delighted that this is so. Each episode is so long, but there are twelve of them. We don't have that anymore. That doesn't really exist anymore. We're in you know prestige TV land where everything is six hours or five. And on and Star Wars, it's always like six half hours, and you're just getting nothing for your for your for your four ninety nine a month or whatever. And so to have like a twelve episode run of basically twelve hours. So then, yeah, of course, episodes four or five episodes ago. It's like six hours ago. <laughs> you can't remember it. <laughs> a lot has happened. But the other yeah. thing is as well, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. But but the other 
problem with that is like the stuff that they're skimping on is the stuff that's cheap. You know, they they're they're still putting in the action scenes. They're still put, you know, the, the Obi Wan or or this. You know, there are still some kind of action scenes. Most episodes, there are still some scenes with visual effects. Every episode, you know, there's even if you're Mon Mothma, she's in her flying car, flying around Coruscant. There's, you know, there's some money on screen there. The stuff they're skimping on is the character stuff, it's the dialogue stuff that um, that actually makes us care about these people. That actually gives nuance, that gives depth, that gives complication and complexity, and and that's the stuff that they habitually leave out of all of these big budget shows. It's insane yeah. to me. Totally, totally. Uh, and the moments that people liked in Obi-Wan were when he, you know, tells Leia a little about his childhood and you're like, yes, yes, more. It's, it, and the old man sad and alone in the desert. It's character. It's those yeah. character moments. And, you know, Andor doesn't skimp on long dialogue scenes. I thought yeah. the scene between Luthan and Forrest Whitaker was fantastic because yeah. Saul Guerrero is a character who, I always like, I always roll my eyes at whenever he turns up in anything, even in Clone War or not Clone War. Is it Clone Wars or Rebels? Rebels, because um, he's just um, he's just again like the the writing was never that sophisticated. I'm like, is this what the Rebel leader really looks like? And the dealing you know dealing with him as being this sort of like almost like the Osama bin Laden of the, of yeah. the rebels, like the, yeah. the guy holed up in the cave. And here's now the the metropolitan terrorist meeting with the cave-dwelling terrorist and them having this tete-a-tete of, no, 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 you did the attack. Yeah, you I did the that. attack. It's <laughs> this little dance between them. I just thought it was so revealing and so brilliant. But it's also it's also a fascinating again real world parallel because um, like the Spanish Civil War, you know, the reason that the left lost the Spanish Civil War was because they could never agree on a, on a leader, and because you had these kind of Sol Guerrero types who were unwilling to compromise with their own side to beat the enemy because that would mean compromise. It's, it's the purity tests that the left has basically, whereas the right just are so authoritarian they'll just get behind somebody and just go with it. That's why everybody caved to Trump in the end uh, in the Republican Party, whereas the left keep going, you know, yes, okay, Biden's all right, but he's no Bernie and therefore we're going to sit this one out. Again, I don't know why I'm going to to US politics. I've been reading a lot of papers this week. My point (laughs) is, you know, the purity tests of the left and the, the, the tendency towards infighting continually cripple rebellions and that's what's happening here and that's what Saul represents and I think Luthen is the yeah the pragmatist uh, who's going to get shit done whatever it takes um and and Saul is this kind of he's he's willing like violence wise to do whatever it takes but not compromise wise and I think that's a fascinating place to be in I have a question do you think Luthen survives this series maybe this series although maybe I think it's looking one. less and less yeah. likely but certainly not the, the next and again like um I always think with character, like in a good show, I shouldn't really worry. Like, oh well, I know he's going to die because he doesn't turn up in Rogue One. My my, the thing that I'm excited about is like, what's going to happen to him? Like, ha- how is his end going to be? Like, how is, does his story end? Does it end in a blaze of glory? Does it end with him being like killed by his own people? Like, you know, he's such a rich and textured character. There are stakes for him. There are stakes for me watching him, even when I know going in. Ah, probably you know, it's Stellan Skarsgård. He, he, 
you know, he wasn't in Rogue One. He's going to die. But but (laughs) does he have to have like a blaze of glory? What I love about this show is it understands that people don't have to be center stage all the time. People come and go. Like the fact that the last, I I, I pray and I hope and I am almost certain the last we'll ever see of Kino Loy is I can't swim. And that was it. That's that character done. He's finished. (gasps) And you never know. We'll never see him again. That was it. That's his whole arc completed. That would be bold. Perfect. It is perfect because we don't need him anymore. He was fantastic for what he did and I will miss him enormously. And I was getting really into his redemption arc. But actually, that's life, isn't it? Like, that's life. He's stuck. That's it. He's gone. Cassian's moved on. There'll be new people. And I think the modular structure of this almost lends itself to a refresh of characters with every new block. And these last two episodes, I think, actually, we'll see it go in a slightly different direction. And I think sometimes the most fantastic endings to stories are questions. And like, yes. if that's the end of his story where you go, yeah. did did he die in the water or did he die turning around and protecting those and who could swim? Lo- and you don't know. <laughs> and I look forward to the fan fiction picking up the adventures of Kino yes. Loy in the water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I think if, even if we don't see any more of Kino Loy on this show, there's going to be a book or comic that's going to of course they will yeah the origin yeah. story like why he was there and all that yeah and I want my fucking Kino Loy Funko Pop I'm telling you that now <laughs> <laughs> okay we are running out of time because we do have I'm afraid a hard out today but what are your predictions for the next two episodes before we finish what's going to happen before the end of the series the thing that I the most sort of was the highest praise I can give this show is I have no fucking clue yeah, no idea and that is what is so good about Andor I have no earthly idea where this is going do you think he's going to be on the prison planet for the next two two episodes? No, I think there's there. It depends what they say for season two because there's there's stuff about his, you know, he's being hunted. There's there are so many threads in so many different areas that need tying up that none of them possibly can be, and they shouldn't try. So it's where they leave, which dangling, which ones they choose to continue. The, the only thing that I feel confident saying at this point, um, that I will among guarantee, if you will, is that I think Luthen is so invested in Andor, he's going to get whiff of this prison break and try and find him. Um, I feel like to mo- for, for, for most people that Luthen meets, they're just pawns that he can move across in his chessboard. And it feels like Cassian is more of a knight or bishop that he's got some investment in. That's a valuable piece that he wants to find and use further in his schemes. Didn't he order so- his death? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> I think he proves his value as a knight by surviving the prison break. I'm not sure that he already do you know what i mean already has that but i do think you're right i think they're going to meet again i think they have to meet again i have a feeling i mean i have no idea and again that is exactly why i love the show i never know what the hell is and i i don't know because i i know what the the typical star wars version would be and that all the trife all the stories would coalesce and there'd be some big bang but you know he could literally just spend two days starving to death in the desert and i'd be like well that's 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 how andor works and i wouldn't be surprised but my feeling is that that slow drip of the Denise goff storyline them like them catching up to andor they might meet or not meet personally but like those stories might meet but it also could not, I just have, I have no idea. It's a really odd place to end it, them in the middle of desolate nowhere. You know, I, I think where, where would Andor want to go next is kind of why I wonder. I think there's gonna, he's going to have to go back home. I think that Bix, post-torture, I think his mother, I mean, I think there's going to be a scene back home before the end of the season. Nobody but that's needs to be on the shore in the corner. Go. Exactly. I think uh, we have to wrap this up, but we will be back in basically two weeks. Um, (laughs) You know, because it's a four episode show. So we're back in two weeks to to wrap up the finale. But uh, until then, it is goodbye to James Dyer, Riverside name, no more than 12. (sighs) One way out. 
(laughs) (laughs) It's goodbye to Amon Warman. Rebels together, strong. That's right. (laughs) Peace. (laughs) And it's goodbye from Sophie, who we didn't tell to come up with a Riverside. (laughs) No, I I, I saw all of your funny names. I thought, I didn't come up with a funny name. B2 Emo must be your favourite droid. B2 Emo, yeah, he's pretty cool. (laughs) Uh, I think I also would have gone like, not so bland or... Not so bland or a Sophie Petzl. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. I went for 5050 emo because I was kind of going for so so emo, but still trying to keep the kind of droid numberiness. I don't know if it works. I was trying Uh, to figure that out all podcast. (laughs) 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 Anyway, uh, it's goodbye from me, Helen O'Hara. I am off to, you know, write some fanfic about Andy Serkis's character, apparently, (laughs) so that we can give him the happy ending, not in that way. Um, That's that's fiction. <laughs> Happy ending well, for Kino Loy. Let's leave it there. But in, enough about your personal fantasies, James. Thanks oh, very much for joining us, and do tune in for more spoiler specials soon. Cheers. Cheers.